Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. I think that Jesus is challenging the entire paradigm of marriage in the first century Jewish context. And he's going to do it by fighting over four aspects of reality that Jesus wants us to ask different questions about. The first is law, the second is personhood, the third is life, and the fourth is death. Jesus is not so much going to try and innovate marriage or fix it. He's going to fundamentally try and transform it. We're going to start with what I'm calling the pathology of law. The pathology of law. The first attempt to talk about marriage is, seems always to be a legal conversation. Matter of fact, we've seen that in our culture. That somehow we want the law to define Marriage, And that's exactly what was happening here in this passage with the Pharisees. And we're not sure why they asked Jesus this question, because in first century Judaism there wasn't a lot of debate over the lawfulness of divorce. So scholars wrestle around with it. I think probably the Gospel of Matthew tells us why they asked this question of Jesus, because in Matthew, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he talked about marriage and divorce. And I'm assuming probably this question later in his ministry is an attempt to clarify what he had said earlier. But here we are in Mark chapter 10, and the Pharisees came to Jesus and they tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it lawful? And Jesus refuses to have that conversation. Do you notice? He doesn't even answer. He makes them answer it. Well, what did Moses do? What do you need to ask me about what's lawful for? What did Moses say? And they said, well, Moses permitted a man to divorce his wife, to write a certificate. If you are interested in where that comes from, it's Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Moses allowed somebody to do that. He, he, he said we could write it. And Jesus says, okay, good enough. So you've answered your own question, but let me remind you that the only reason that's there is because you people are hard-hearted. The question of what is legal... What is lawful is the wrong question to ask for Jesus. Jesus doesn't even want to talk about what the law allows. He wants to talk about what marriage is. And that's different 
You see, the law, when we have a behavior that's damaging to society, and divorce is damaging to society, every society in the history of, of the world has recognized this. It destabilizes families. It makes the raising of children more difficult. It causes financial stress, social stress on the environment. Divorces, if everybody got divorced with young children all the time, the state would fall to pieces. So divorce is a destructive force. Just because it puts too much emphasis on the state to have to come in and extended families to have to try and pick up the pieces. So societies have always understood that. But law treats those kinds of things, things that are destabilizing to society, as kind of pathogens. And that's exactly what we find in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy doesn't legislate divorce. It assumes divorce is going to happen. It just tells us how to c control it a little bit. You can't get remarried. If you, if you, if, what Deuteronomy says is that if you marry, if, if you get divorced and then one of the two spouses gets married again and then that divorce happens, you can't go back and marry the first spouse. That's what Deuteronomy says. It also says you can't just send your wife away and say, good, you're divorced. You had to write out exactly why. These are the, they're, they're hemming it in. But nowhere, and this is Jesus' point, and the Pharisees knew this, nowhere in the law of Moses did Moses ever say, thou shalt get divorced if... So, when the Pharisees are asking him, is it lawful? They're asking Jesus, what, if you know so much, should the law have said about divorce? They recognized that the law said nothing about it. That Moses permitted it, but he never commanded it. And Jesus reminded... Or I think he probably informed the Pharisees because until Jesus, we don't have any record of anybody ever thinking of marriage in the terms that Jesus is going to describe it in. Jesus reminded, maybe informed the Pharisees that what's legal, even in the law of Moses, does not necessarily tell us a thing about what God wants. There's plenty that violates God's will, that violates God's intentions for humanity that's perfectly legal. There's plenty that's selfish and self-obsessed. There's plenty that falls short of the glory of God. There's plenty that harms and hurts other people. There's plenty that's evil. That's perfectly legal. Just because Moses permitted divorce does not mean that God's design for marriage included it. In fact, engaging with the subject of divorce from a legal perspective, that's just simply unsatisfactory for Jesus. And so he does not discuss it from the standpoint of law. Instead, Jesus wants to speak of marriage from the standpoint of health, not from the standpoint of disease. If divorce is the death of a living thing we call a family, then we have to observe that Jesus preferred to talk about a healthy body as opposed to what should be done with the corpse once it's dead. That's the legal question. What do we do with the corpse once it's dead, Jesus? What does the law say? Bury it. But can we talk about what healthy looks like? This is the problem with law and the problem with trying to, to, to ask questions about what's right and good and just in the world by asking legal questions like what is lawful and what's the punishment and all those sorts of things. They're not helpful questions. That's the pathology of law. The pathology of law is that it doesn't deal with causes or with health. It deals with control. For law, marriage is a covenant, a contract, an agreement 
But that's not what it is for God. It's something else altogether. But there is a paradigm that Jesus needs to give us, two of them. Personhood and life. We're going to deal with them each independently. First, the priority of personhood. Now, Jesus is reframing the question. Rather than saying, what do we do with a, with a, a body once we've killed it? Jesus says, let's talk about what it is to keep it alive. How about that? Let's do that. And so he gets into this and he has to expose the kinds of things inside marriages that kill them. And there are probably a lot of them, but Jesus targets himself at one of them. Jesus replied, verse 6, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. There are a lot of ways to read the creation account. But one way of reading the story of creation is that you have one human being created in the image of God, and then that human being is split in half into male and female, and then in marriage they come back and once again become made in the image of God, which makes a married couple the ideal form of God in the world. But that's not Jesus' reading. Jesus goes back to Genesis 1 and says, in the beginning, when God created humanity in His image, He made them male and female. Not male and female together, the image of God, but independently, male and female, the image of God. And those genders were created for a purpose, according to Jesus. Did you catch it? They're not made for the purpose of, of finding a soulmate. Of, of finding someone who will fulfill and meet all of our needs. It's not a solution to loneliness, according to Jesus, though you could read the story that way. He refuses to. And Jesus refuses. He, that's a legitimate possibility, but Jesus says, no, you're reading it wrong. He created male and female separately, and they come together for a purpose. To become one flesh, one body. But what I want to emphasize here is that this is not the way marriage was understood. And Jesus drives it home by putting out this little detail in Genesis that upends the whole system of how we've done marriage in Israel and in we still do it this way. And it's the idea that it's the wife who leaves her family to be part of the man's family. But Jesus says, you all remember that Genesis said it's the man who leaves his family to join his wife. But Jesus here, what I'm trying to help you to see is that Jesus is getting at the core of marriage and one of the fundamental problems with marriage is that the two didn't remain two. There was no personhood. That somehow the relationship subsumed them. That there was no independence. And so Jesus does this, these two things. First, he says, God made them, male and female, independent people who choose to come together to make a new body. A new life. That's what he says first. Secondly, he says, remember, the husband's supposed to leave his family, which nobody ever did. And then third, this is in verse 12. He says that a wife can divorce her husband. Not that she should, but she can. That was against the law in Israel. 
Only the man could initiate a divorce. Did you notice the question they asked? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? She's a person. For Jesus, she's a person. One of the things, now he's saying it's wrong to do no matter who does it, but he's legitimizing the fact that either could do it. Again, a person. The priority of personhood for Jesus. And if you can't see this, boy, it's going to open your eyes to all of Scripture. What he does with slaves and their relationship with their masters. What he does with husbands and wives. What he does with children. Jesus constantly affirms the integrity of the person. And no wonder he does, because he's the Son. He knows what it's like to be in relationship with God and still be the Son and still talk to Him as the Father and yet have them be one God. So there's a priority of personhood and I think Jesus is pointing out and He's doing it very passive-aggressively and kind of insinuating that what is killing their marriages is their view of it. There's a priority to personhood. The next step in this argument that Jesus is building is a paradigm of life. And here he's moving away from marriage as a legal structure and moving it into the idea of a living being. Now, you have lots of different cells in your body. They do lots of different things. But two things makes the cells in your body successful. First of all, they know who they are and they stay independent of the others. And secondly, they cooperate well. It's the same kind of thing. Jesus wants us to look at marriage and the family that's created as a life. That two people agree to come together to keep alive, to nurture, to grow. A new thing in the world called the family. It's a living thing. Marriage is about these two cooperating to keep this new life alive. And their child is a picture of that, of course, and children are born in that context. The new life of the family. And Jesus seems to insist that what's happened when two people decide to come together to form a family is that God breathes life into it and makes it a new thing. Living thing. One flesh. One body. A new creature. Not that the two of them are absorbed in it, but they participate in it. And their job is to help it to grow and to live and to thrive. That's Jesus' new paradigm. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. God created male and female to come together to form a new thing called the family. And sex then, is not a mechanism by which two that were once one now can be or independent now can be made one. It's not a, a way of simply showing affection or expressing love. Sex is part of the health of the system. Health is your brain successfully communicating with your fingers so you can move them. It's the mechanism by which the relationship can be maintained and strengthened and preserved. It's one of the mechanisms, not the only one. But it is a function, sexuality is a function of that system to help it to be alive and vibrant. Law is only interested in what happens once something begins to die. Jesus doesn't want to have that conversation. He wants to talk about what's killing 
And the tumors in the midst are sometimes a failure to have proper personhood, proper understanding of our own self-worth before God. And then to be properly related to one another, not to be responsible for the life of the other, but to be responsible for the life of the system. And finally, our fourth point, the perversion of death. The perversion of death. Now you notice here for Jesus that a, a, a contract, a legal union, can be dissolved. It's simply a piece of paper. And what do you do with contracts when you don't want them anymore? You dissolve them. You break them. But if, if, if a family is a living thing, then it can't be dissolved. Living things, oh, you can do one of two things with them. They can die, or you can kill them. And so, all of this gets us back to Jesus revealing that the law actually did have something to say about marriage, even uh, divorce, even though it didn't say it anywhere. The law said, do not kill. A family is a life. Divorce is the death of a family. The life that God intends the family to live has a life cycle determined by God. And He does not intend it to die prematurely. But we ask the wrong question when we ask, is it okay to get divorced? I mean, the, the Pharisees might as well have asked Jesus, Jesus, is it legal to die? Jesus won't even engage with it. Is it lawful for a body to die? It's Jesus' response is more or less, well, I mean, it happens, but it's not what God wants. If it happens, something's gone wrong. When we come to Jesus in legalistic categories, we want a set of rules that we can know whether we've fallen short of them if we break them. But we've always known that marriage is of a different sort of thing. Some people, in Jesus' eyes, are divorced today, but they have not signed the paperwork. Because for Jesus... A family is a living thing. And some of us are corpses already. The law has nothing to do with it. There is no way by law to make a dead thing live. All law can do is make you deny it's dead. See, for Jesus, this is about a living thing. And it is, and I want to say this, and each of us will stand before God for this. Insofar as we murdered that life, we will be responsible before Him. And He knows. But lots of things die without an overt act of murder. And insofar as we participate in a process that supports that death, we have to answer to our God. That's for each of us. But what I love about Jesus is that He, he, he says, He reframes adultery. That's this last part. Adultery they thought of as a violation of a covenant. 
for Jesus, what we have to recognize is that this is a living thing, the family. And we are responsible to give it life and nurture. Jesus doesn't write a new law that the church now puts into act and starts to execute people on the basis of. He refuses to do it. What he instead says is what God intends. And he intends a family to be a living thing. He breathes life into two people who come together. And he wants them to support and sustain the life he gives. To sustain that new life in which children are born, a home. We don't become more like God when we do it. We were already made in His image. But we become more like God when we make it live. We've been trying to legislate death. But Jesus refuses to do that. Instead, He reframes the discussion to talk of the intention of marriage. Two individual humans, both created in God's image independently, joined together as persons for the purpose of creating a new life, which God blesses by creating something new called the family. And they participate in the life of that family as independent people, but in relationship. And in the context of that, children are produced, who truly are the two in one flesh, and they are supported and nurtured in that home. And it's a life that we have to help to live. We have to feed it. We have to relate to one another. We have to talk with one another. We have to keep it alive. And what Jesus reveals is that if we don't consciously and constantly feed into the life of the system, it will die. It is inevitable. You might never sign the slip of paper, but you're just as divorced as anybody else if you let it die. And so, does Jesus say divorce is wrong? Yes. Does He call it sin? Yes. When something dies, sin is at work. Does He say you can't do it? Can't? What? Of course things can die. And if you don't nurture them, they will die. So God, Jesus can't legislate against that. What divorce is evidence of is not people disobeying God. What it reveals is that people are not, they don't know how to live anymore. They don't know how to give themselves and participate in a system. They don't know how to keep it alive. They don't know how to love. Divorce is a symptom, it is not a cause. When a family dies, something has gone wrong. And we need to focus on what has to go right. God doesn't want you to divorce. Some of you were raised in homes where it happened. You know, this is not God's way. But it is what happens when we don't know how to live. And so Jesus, rather than participating in the writing of a new law, He tries to embody a new life. And show us that the first has to be last and the last have to be first. That the greatest among you has to be the servant of all. And yet, you are independent persons in relationship. And that's healthy. God does not make death illegal. But what He does do is He makes life possible. And that's marriage for Him. And can God resurrect a dead marriage? Yes, He can. He can resurrect the dead. That's the story of the empty tomb. Can He heal a broken one? Sure He can. 
but only if we can participate and cooperate with Him in knowing what it means to bring something to life and to help sustain its life. Jesus reframes the whole debate when He says, more or less, marriage is not about love. It's about life.